You're listening to The Lands of Milk and Honey, a podcast produced by the New Zealand Israel Innovation Hub. As this is the first podcast, I suppose this is a good opportunity to explain a little about the hub and what it aims to achieve. Well, in essence, the hub facilitates collaboration, communication and enterprise between New Zealand and Israel. I suppose it takes on a business council role in that it advocates for exports in both directions and works to improve bilateral ties between the two countries. So why Israel? Well, it's impossible to deny that the relationship between Israel and New Zealand over the years hasn't exactly been smooth sailing and the Israelis are often seen in a negative light when the media reports on the conflict. Unfortunately, there is another side to the Israeli story that is not being told, and that while extremists are at each other's throats, another sector, their tech sector, is absolutely booming. As anybody who visits will note, the innovative energy is exciting as it is captivating. And I believe that there are many lessons as well as collaborative opportunities for New Zealand, given the decision makers at the top are keen to see it undergo the same type of tech transformation Israel went through in the 2000s. This podcast will be purely trade related. And I'm also keen to learn how the Israeli government has enabled the tech transformation to occur and the tech ecosystem to thrive. They say that peace is a natural effect of trade, and I hope this podcast will reveal a more inviting side to Israel and bridge cultural, language and distance barriers. So why New Zealand? Well, firstly, it's hard not to love plucky New Zealand and its people. It's a country so geographically isolated, it's often left off the map. Now, I was born in Melbourne, Australia, but my heart and home remain in New Zealand. Uh, Of course, my dog Frida is there as well in Wellington. In my opinion, New Zealand is as close as it gets to paradise on earth. And I want to see it thrive, be prosperous, and to reach its potential for this generation and for generations to come. Now, in my mind, New Zealand, despite the peace that has prevailed, it is faced and will face many significant challenges in the years to come, from social equity to climate change, from economic isolation to agricultural revolution. I believe New Zealand must accelerate towards the beckoning tech transformation and I believe it has the brains and resources to get there. The agenda of the New Zealand Israel Innovation Hub is to work towards this outcome. For this episode and for the next few more, I'll be your host. Josh Brown is my name and I'm also the founder of the Innovation Hub. By the way, why have I called this podcast Lands of Milk and Honey, I hear you ask. Well, Believe it or not, while Israel and New Zealand are an unlikely pair, they have more in common than meets the eye. They are isolated, well, in different ways. They have small advanced economies. Both do not possess a constitution. Both Israelis and Kiwis are intrepid travelers. I suppose both countries subscribe to liberal Western values. And believe it or not, 
Both peoples refer to their country as the land of milk and honey. Though, to be fair, for Israel, it's date honey rather than bee honey. So, let's get stuck into it. In this episode, I rolled into the Ecomotion Conference in Tel Aviv on the 10th of May. The conference bills itself as being about bringing like-minded people together and who are seeking opportunities for knowledge sharing, networking and interaction with the frontier of innovative technologies in smart mobility. So what is smart mobility? Smart mobility is a new and revolutionary way of thinking about how we get around, one that is cleaner, safer and more efficient. Smart mobility refers to using modes of transportation alongside or even instead of owning a gas-powered vehicle. This can take on many different forms, including ride-sharing, car-sharing, public transportation, walking, biking and many more. The need for smart mobility rose out of increasing traffic congestion and its related side effects, including pollution, fatalities and wasted time. I'll be honest with you, before I found out about this tech conference, I had not even heard of the term smart mobility. With my curiosity leading the way, I decided for this first podcast episode to stroll around the conference floor, interviewing exhibitors about what they were presenting at their booths. In this way, I could get to know what was this all about and hunt around for super interesting tech to report on. There were dozens upon dozens of booths and I went hard in to find the best material. The following interviews are a selection of what I think are the best. Just one request from you, the listener. Please be merciful. This was a first. So I'm walking past uh, the store called Watergen and it's probably one of the busiest stalls at this uh, conference, at the Ecomotion conference in Tel Aviv. Mickey, I've got here Mickey with me who is the manager, a manager no, of Watergen? Regional sales manager. Regional sales manager, okay. For Latin America, Africa and uh, the Gulf region. Fantastic. Mickey, tell me about Watergen and why you're so busy at this conference. Why has it been so hard for me to get five minutes of your time? <laughs> so, Watergen is probably the, let's call it the sexiest theme here. Yeah. Water. Everybody wants water. Everybody's interested in water. It's a huge issue, not only for the mobility, you know, car industry or uh, buses, trains and so on. It's an issue, period. Countries are getting more dry, the whatever water sources we have are getting contaminated, are scarce, there's drought in most of the countries. And sustainability is huge. There's not that many options of producing water commercially that are very sustainable. It's either plastic bottles, which is not very sustainable at all, or desalination, which raises the, the level of minerals and salt that gets thrown back to the ocean. Reverse osmosis, which really doesn't filter that well the water. 
I've come from South America, originally. So oh, yes. I say it's playing on the same football field. Would be in New Zealand, it would be playing on the same rugby field. That's right, yeah. Okay, it's not a new way of playing rugby. We're bringing a new way of playing, of playing rugby. Okay, it's even inventing the whole ball, the whole, the whole field, everything from scratch. We have a lot of water in the air. It's not used. None of it. None of it is used for uh, for drinking water. What we know how to do is to extract as much water from the humidity and from the air, make it quality water, large amounts of water, and make it on a very harsh term. So let's say dry areas with 20% humidity. It's basically desert. Nevada, uh, the desert here in Israel, Dubai, Azerbaijan, all these countries that have 20% humidity. To produce water from 20% humidity, it's, uh, it takes a lot. Yeah, it's right. not easy to produce uh-huh. it's not easy to produce water from air period yeah but producing it with a small percentage of humidity is, is hard so this is what we do okay and so a lot of i mean i'm thinking like whenever at, at a home uh, i have an air conditioner okay and and whenever i turn that air conditioner on it it produces a little bit of water is it something like that at all it's funny you should ask it's it's basically the idea is the same one Okay. It's actually, I usually use a different example. Is you wake up in the morning, and you look at your window. What do you have? Condensation. Yeah. Why? Yeah. It's hot inside, it's cold outside, difference of temperature produces a dew point, and then you produce water. This is what the machine does. It takes what God created, and it betters it. It plays around a little bit, okay? So what we do is we filter the air that goes into the machine. We use blowers to extract air from the environment. Can be salty, can be contaminated, can have particles, dust, sand particles like in the desert. And it's always filtered to the same level of clean air. Uh-huh. You would change the filter, you would clean actually, you wouldn't change. Change the filter the same same amount of times a year, which is once. But you clean it a little bit more in, in, uh, in areas that are very polluted. Okay, right. And then the air that goes into the machine is filtered. Uh-huh. It meets a heat exchanger a little bit like the air conditioning, but the air conditioning doesn't produce a lot of water uh-huh. and everything touches metal, which means that if you drink, which I highly recommend not to, <laughs> drink water from the air condition, that it's a very metallic taste. Right, right. Our heat exchanger is food-grade polymer, no metal touching the, the, the process inside the machine. It then condenses the water, brings it to the dew point, and at the difference of temperature between the hot air that goes into the machine and what we do with that air, that's where you produce the water. Imagine if we, if we kind of artificially create a storm inside a machine. That would be the equivalent. Right. It then goes through filtering, although at that point it's already very, very clean. But we filter it through carbon and then we add minerals because mm-hmm. atmospheric water doesn't have minerals. But on yeah. the other hand... The human body needs magnesium, Absolutely. calcium, and so yeah, on, yeah. and the taste is better. Fluoride? Does it have fluoride? Uh, no, not fluoride. Uh, calcium and magnesium. Okay. And then it goes through a UV lamp, and then you press the button. Press so you have Presto. clean like water. Magic. Yep. Uh, compared with any other water, tap water, desalination, reverse osmosis, filtration, treatment, even mineral, even the best, the best mineral water you could possibly buy anywhere in the supermarket. We're still better with the pH, still better with the minerals. Our clarity is better. Mm-hmm. The number of particles you have in the water is lower. Mm-hmm. And this is lab tested. Yeah, for sure. It's the premium water that exists 
anywhere else. So if for a lot of third world countries where clean water is hard to come by, this kind of solution would be absolutely highly in demand over there. Um, and, you know, it, it actually, in, in a way, you're actually helping third world com- countries to become healthier and, and, and not just give them water, but you're actually, you know, giving them a solution where they can actually drink water and be healthy rather than consuming their badly contaminated water. And that's what I think is really great about this solution. Um, I've got a little machine over here. Uh, well, it's not a little machine. It looks like your regular water fountain. Uh, would it be able to, ch- like, maybe describe to listeners about what it tastes like? And So what you're looking at is something called the Jenny. The Jenny is our house-slash-office device. It produces up to 30 liters a day. It weighs 80 kilos. And it produces hot water and, and cold water. It also filters the air inside the office because, as I said, bad air goes in the machine, clean air comes out. That's the byproduct. Oh, clean that's the air. byproducts. Yep. Clean air. Unbelievable. Now, outside, there's no impact on the environment. But inside, it reduces the amount of humidity in the room, which right. means less uh, skin problems, less asthma, less problems come, will come from less high humidity. And it purifies the air in the office. Cool. It also can connect to an application so you know exactly what the machine produces, how much you have in the inner tank, do you have to change filters, is there anything, any problem with the machine, how much it produces in a day, how much it consumes in a day electrically. Now imagine just a kind of a cooler size machine that has no tubes, no plumbing in the back. If you look at the back, there's nothing. It's just a plug, electric, electric plug. Plug it into the electricity, wait a few minutes until it produces water. Once it has 3% uh, inside the inner tank, boom, you can drink water. Fantastic. That's fascinating. Well, look, um, if you're interested in Watergen, uh, you know, you can go online to their website or visit store 114 if you're in the area. Uh, but, uh, yeah, watergen.com. Now, Mickey, I know you've got a little bit of a, you've got an interesting background. Tell me about why, why Watergen. So, I'm... I started out, my, my first career was a military career. Okay. Very typical Israeli. Uh-huh. Signed up to be an officer. Uh, finished uh-huh. officer school, paratroopers, the whole nine yards. Uh, service in Lebanon and so on. It's not a lot of people know this. And, and some of the people that know the Israeli mentality kind of perceive it as as a tough mentality, as, as very straightforward people, very bottom line kind of people with no, with, no, yeah, with no patience yeah. whatsoever yeah. Yeah. it's I always try to explain this imagine a country that is only 70 years old There's not there had not been one year in which we have not been under a threat of annihilation right. we have not had one peaceful year and the common Israeli wakes up in the morning and says you know what this is my last day that is why we eat what we eat, we drive like we drive, we do everything we do. Party like you party. Party like we party because essentially there's, there's, no, there's no next day. Yeah. On, on the one side, it makes us kind of a little bit tough to crack. But on the other hand, it promotes a lot of innovation because people that have no fear, it's their last day on earth, they would take risks, they would open companies, they would innovate. It's also a country that has zero natural resources, none, none whatsoever. No water, no minerals, no metals, no oil, no uh, pasture, very little tourism uh, in the past. And it's, it's about 25% of its budget goes into, uh, <laughs> into, into not getting along with our neighbors. Yeah. And so basically in, in these terms, 
you only have one resource, which is the human resource. Right. If we don't invent, and this is true for the Jewish people all around the world, our, our ticket to, to enter the, the, you know, the, the better clubs, the good country clubs, the, you know, to be friends with, uh, with the high society, with, with the educated people, is to be better than everyone and everything. Yeah, that's yeah, if yeah. I if I can kind of sum it up. But, that's mean, the mentality. I mean, you walk around and some of the Israeli innovations here are just incredible. Not just Watergen, but there's a lot of, lot around here that you'd just be like very, very impressed with. So look, uh, Mickey, thanks very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and I wish you all the best pleasure, for the conference. Saving lives one glass of water at a time. Nice, fantastic. Thank you. I've just walked past one of the stalls Look pretty interesting. It's called Enigmatos. And what it says on the stall board here, it says it's an on, in automotive cybersecurity solution to protect vehicle fleets. I know New Zealand has a lot of fleets to protect. Um, and I'm here with Ziv Moore, who's going to maybe describe a little bit more about it and how this works and, you know, where you, like, is this a product that you consider exporting to New Zealand? Sure, thank you. So, uh, yeah, Sanigmatos is providing a solution uh, for cybersecurity to protect vehicles at fleets. We look at vehicles and uh, trucks like buses, cabs. We look at vehicles like um, computers on wheels. And just like uh, you need to protect your uh, computer once you buy it from your vendor and you install more applications on top of it in order to be aware on the cybersecurity threats on your computer you do not trust only these vendors to to keep you safe the same goes for connected new vehicles which are in a new era of threats in terms of cybersecurity therefore such fleets which uh, the vehicles are in the uh, core of their activities will have to develop methods and put in systems in order to identify any malicious activities right. that might be on their vehicles. Our solution allows these fleets to get the data out of the vehicles okay. and then with the profile that we are creating and uh, monitoring, they will be able to be aware of any activities on their vehicles. So that's interesting. So. How do you generate that data? Do you, is it, uh, do you have cameras within the vehicle itself or do you have sensors? How does it work? So we either install our own sensor on the vehicle, uh -huh. which is an off-the-shelf sensor uh -huh. that's being used today for various other applications, but together with our embedded technology, it is capable of delivering up to the cloud much more data than is being used today. Okay. In the cloud, we have our own algorithms that monitor the vehicle okay. and alert of any anomaly on the data that is uh, generally on the ground. Okay, fantastic. No, this is that's super interesting. So, uh, where does it is the information? Is it sent to a hub where somebody's looking over? To, like, if there's an alarm raised, then it's controlled from outside the country, or is it all within the country in which the response? is within the country itself? Great, great question. So it depends which cyber solution do you already have in your organization. So if you have a solution that monitors other areas in your uh, company, other areas, so we will deliver an API with alerts to this specific solution. Uh -huh. If you don't have any other solution, so we will provide you with the uh, actual dashboard uh -huh. to be able and look on your entire fleet and get the alerts on. Okay, fantastic. 
Well, this has been super interesting to talk to you, Ziv. And uh, look, I wish you all the best for the conference. And uh, if you want to know more about Enigmatos, you can go to their website. What's your website? www.enigmatos.com. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Thank you. I've managed to find Doron Kohadier, and he's just been chatting all day. Like, I've walked past, and every time he's really busy. We've not been able to find anywhere to chat. So he's got his vehicle within the on the conference floor itself, and, uh, you know, we're actually in the car, and we're going to chat about who Doron is and, he, and, and, and his uh, innovation and why Kiwis should be interested in it. And are you interested in exporting to New Zealand? Okay, so thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, Doron, Doron Coadier. I'm the VP Business Development at Foresight Automotive. Uh, Foresight Automotive is an Israeli company. We're actually developing 3D perception system based on stereo. Wow. Okay, now what do we mean stereo? Human, you know, human beings have two eyes. There's a reason for that because we see the world in 3D. So we're actually Im- imitating the same thing by using cameras. We take two cameras synchronizing them and produce 3D perception using these two cameras. Now, we didn't invent stereo, okay? Mm -hmm. Stereo is there for quite a while already before we Mm -hmm. came. Mm -hmm. The thing is what we're doing, we're providing the next generation of stereo. Wow. Now, what do we mean by that? First of all, stereo, you need to understand, we produce, we look at the world, we see the world in 3D, -hmm. meaning that every pixel that we see has its location within the environment. So each Mm -hmm. pixel has its XYZ location in space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. From this, you gather a lot, a lot of information. Now, the beauty of what we bring, as opposed to regular stereo, what we call traditional stereo, let me Mm -hmm. first explain what's traditional stereo. Usually, you'll see two cameras behind a windshield Mm -hmm. connected to a rigid beam. Okay, Mm -hmm. and produce 3D perception. That's a basic traditional stereo. Mm -hmm. However, traditional stereo is limited by the distance it can see, by the accuracy it can see, and by the location you can put it, usually Mm -hmm. in the center of the windshield. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What we actually develop, and actually we're uh, uh, opening here uh, a parenthesis here, we're actually a spin-off of a defense company. Mm -hmm. There are quite a few startups here at Ecomotion, which, uh, you know, took defense technologies civilized them and brought them to the automotive industry. So we did the same. We are a spin-off of a company called Magna in Israel, and they did a surveillance system based on stereo. So we took the technology and know-how. So what do we do different in comparison to a traditional stereo? We actually developed an automatic calibration software module. This is the heart of the technology. What do we mean by that? Very simple. Two cameras in order to see stereo have to be synchronized and calibrated at any given time. Mm-hmm. The calibration is very important. We usually, the traditional stereo, you calibrate it once, tightly connected to a rigid beam, and pressed up. Mm-hmm. However, again, it's limited by what I explained in distance and accuracy, etc. This software, piece of software we developed, allows us now to separate the camera. I can now put the cameras at any place I want on the vehicle. I can put it in the in the side uh, the sides of the windshield, so you cannot you will not obstruct the, the 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 driver. I can put it in the headlamps. I can put it in the side mirrors, in the roof racks. Suddenly, there's a lot of real estate in where I can put my cameras. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, I can now spread the cameras apart even further. The more I increase the distance between the cameras, 
the further I can see, mm-hmm. the more accuracy I'll be, and therefore I'm, get, I'm providing here the next generation of stereo. And this correlates to the market trend out there. The automotive industry wants to see further, smaller objects, better uh, uh, accuracy. And this is what we provide. Mm. However, the new kid on the block from in terms of our technology is actually a fascinating thing. By using this automatic calibration, we can now take existing hardware. We're not adding any cameras anymore. We're taking existing cameras on the vehicle. For example, an ADAS camera, one camera behind the windshield and a parking camera in the grill. As long as they're facing on the same direction, on the overlap view of, of these two cameras, I can create 3D perception. Now, this is a unique concept, uh, very fascinated. OEMs love it. We're already in a few proof of concept with leading OEMs in the world. And, you know, we're taking stereo to the next step here. Wow, that is super interesting. So say, for example, you have a 3D picture of what's around you. Does that help uh, improve the safety of the vehicle? Does that... Um, so why 3D? Why, why stereo vision through uh, cameras? Okay. First of all, you can do partial uh, 3D perception using mono cameras, okay, with other methods. But it will never reach the accuracy and the level of, of detail you'll get from 3D perception using stereo. Stereo will always be better. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, every pixel has its XYZ location, uh, uh, and I get more detailed. I get more pixels per square inch better in classification, I'm better in detection, I'm better in distance measurement. There's a lot of added value by using uh, stereo as opposed to, for example, mono cameras. Mm. And I think there's a renaissance in, in adopting stereo again. Stereo was used in the past, then slowly went down. And now with this uh, new innovation that we're bringing, there's a hype. Uh, and one of the major ad- advantages, by the way, we have is we're passive. What do we mean passive? We do not emit energy. Okay, I stare at the environment and I collect the information. Other technologies like a LiDAR or radar, they emit energy mm. in order to hit something and get a reflection. Mm. That's right. Now, the minute you use active energy and the industry is starting to understand it, the higher you go in autonomy, you pack more sensors, it creates a lot of noise. Okay, all this energy running around in order to, to see what's going on and everything. Mm-hmm. When you get so much noise, it's harder to pick the signal. We're providing a high-end technology, completely passive. I do not have any interferences between other sensors. That's a big, big advantage. Mm-hmm. I can see how this would be a great complement to AI. Uh, you can see vehicles being able to uh, autonomously move around using this technology. And, of know, course. Yeah, of yeah, course. yeah. Oh, this is really fascinating stuff. Uh, look... For those listening in New Zealand, uh, this is the type of place where you can hear about these unbelievable inventions and innovations. So, look, thank you very much, Doron. And, uh, look, uh, if you want to find out more about uh, this innovation, you can go to his website, uh, which is? Uh, www.foresightauto.com. Fantastic. Great stuff. Enjoy the rest of your conference. Thank you very much. You too. I've got with me Jan Hauser from Czech Republic. Tell me what you're all about and what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve. We're a community of cities, uh, innovators, uh, research centers, and industrial partners. Okay. That, uh, 
look for innovations. We help cities innovate in terms of urban mobility. Yep. We look for startups and we invest in startups that are, that are able to deliver that. Okay. All right. Do they have to be Israeli companies or like are you interested in other countries around the world? I guess like if, you're, if this looks like an Israeli-specific entity, is that right? Uh, we're interested in startups from Europe and Israel. Okay. So that's where we can invest, where we can fund projects. Okay. We're interested in startups from elsewhere in the world because uh-huh. we can help them enter the European market. Okay, fantastic. Okay, great. So that's good to know. It's not just necessarily about Israel. Through maybe another department, you'll be able to look at companies in New Zealand. Exactly. Okay, cool. And what's your background? Tell me a little bit about yourself and who you are and you know how did uh, Jan from Czech Republic... Managed to get to Israel, Tel Aviv, Israel. Essentially, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have a territory, which we have business creation managers responsible for startups. Okay. And I'm lucky enough to uh, cover Eastern Europe and Israel. Okay. So um, I need to be everywhere. There's something interesting with uh-huh. startups. Get to know them. That's fun. And Sounds uh, like fun. Connect them to the cities, to the okay. industry, uh-huh. um, and to invest. Okay. Are you seeing any good wins? Absolutely. This is uh, an amazing event. There's so many startups, I couldn't even take note of all of them. Fantastic. Okay, well, uh, what have you been really impressed with so far? Like, what are you looking at that just go, God, that's amazing? What, what's, what's impressed you so far? Amazing AI solutions here. There's um, amazing trends in, in last mile uh, travel uh-huh. and last mile logistics in cities. Okay. And, of course, in energy and electrification. So it's all the mega trends in mobility and, and there's startups scattering for all of them in here. Ah, fantastic. Well, Jan, it's been great to talk to you and I wish you all the best for the rest of the conference. Thank you. Cheers. See you around. So I've got here with me Ravid Rodney. Yeah, that's right. Rodney is not a very common uh, Israeli name. It's not. Tell me a little bit about that. Where's your family from? Well, it's a really long story. I'll give you the gist of it. Uh, when my granddad wanted to fight the Germans in World War II, the British told him, well, you can't fight the Germans with a German surname. So he said, fine. He opened the phone book, put the, pointed his finger at the closest uh, sounding name in English to Reudner, which was the original German uh, surname. And that's how it came to be. That is so funny. Well... Okay, Rodney. I mean, uh, Mr. Ravid. Ravid Call me Rodney. Rodney. I like it. Yeah, Rodney. I like. <laughs> okay, so you are the customer success manager for APAC region for Optibus. Yes. Now, um, Optibus is one of those Israeli companies that actually has a presence in New Zealand. Um, but tell me what you do. Tell us what Optibus is all about. All right. Thanks, Josh. Optibus is an end-to-end platform for public transit uh, agencies and operators. Uh, we provide uh, planning, scheduling, optimization, and day of operations platform. What does that mean? Uh, it means that we're trying to be the one-stop shop for anybody that runs uh, public transportation. Okay. okay. For instance, uh, in New Zealand, uh, we work in, with AT Metro and with GoBus in Auckland, which means that we work on the planning side with AT Metro, uh, where they plan the the routes and they uh, tweak the timetables. And we work with GoBus on the operational side, uh, scheduling and rostering for uh, daily and weekly um, bus schedules. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you guys seem to be, I mean, you guys are everywhere. When I'm ever looking online for a job, uh, in you know, in, in business development, you know, uh, when I first came to Israel, I was looking for a job. 
and you ha have positions available all the time. You must be growing very, very fast. Tell me, how old is your company? Where are you expanding to? Tell mm -hmm. me the type of customers that you have. Well, Brazil uh, is a really good example of the type of customers that we have. Okay. We have public transport agencies, okay. which plan the routes and uh, dictate the timetables. And we have the operators, which own the buses and hire the uh, drivers, and they have to plan for them. Specifically in New Zealand, we have to deal with the ERA rules, which are the most complicated break rules I've ever seen in my uh, um, <laughs> short yet intense uh, stay here at uh, Optibus. I've uh, been here for about three years. Uh -huh. I'm uh, the head customer success yeah. for uh, APAC region. Okay. So we have customers in Australia, New Zealand, uh, Singapore, uh -huh. Hong Kong, uh, India now, okay. and soon Japan too. Okay. Okay. Tell me a little bit about um, like what do you think of New Zealanders? Have you been deal had to deal with them a little bit? Are they a pain in the ass to deal with, or like are they friendly? Oh, I, I, I love you Kiwis, uh, I, I, very polite, very nice people, okay. uh, good temper, uh, I'm comparing to, I don't know, I, I'm not going to say name any names of other countries, but I really like working with, um, okay. with, with uh, the, my Kiwi customers, great, great. Very, very good people. Okay, and this is a great vibe at this conference, you know, you've got hundreds of booths here, what is it? about Israeli technology that seems to bring people and get them excited. What, what is it that, um, like, what's the secret? What's the secret sauce? I can't tell you that, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think Israel being such a small country, everyone's always grabbing for something. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, uh, I think it's coming from, uh, like, 70 years ago, there was no Israel. So everybody's trying to grab their own and to get what's what's coming to them i don't know it's it's this mentality that we have the thing is we're not we don't we're not a producer a big producer of of most things right we don't have a heavy industry no. uh, in the country because we don't have the resources we right. don't have uh minerals we don't have a lot of uh, uh land uh or or even a lot of water to support a lot of the heavy industries so what we what kind of industry can we do that doesn't require a lot of uh mineral resources Tech, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, tech, and, and uh, uh, anything that's digital, uh, it's easy to export, easy to, export, easy to yeah. generate and create. So it's it's just that, that's what we excel at. That's yeah. my idea, at least as one Israeli. I don't speak for my entire country. No, it sounds pretty good. It makes a lot of sense. Look, uh, I have to thank you very much for spending time uh, chatting to me today. And uh, look, I wish, uh, wish you guys much success for the rest of the conference. Thanks a lot, Josh. And if there are any public bus companies that uh, want to work with Optimus, just give me a, give me a ping. All right. All sounds right. good. Cheers, Josh. Thank you. So I'm joined here by Gil Livschitz, uh, who's into car racing. We're standing right next to what looks like a car, uh, like a, some kind of racing vehicle. How fast does this one go? Yeah, so the car uh, can go up to 120 kilometers an hour. 120, okay. And because of our race, is a lot of curves, so usually the car goes at around 50 to 60 kilometers okay. per hour. Is anybody sitting in this car, or is it fully autonomous? Yeah, so one of the sections in the race is a student who sits in the car and drives it. Okay. And the second section is a, a driverless car. Okay, so which, which one crashes more, the driverless car or the one with the human in it? 
Yeah, sure. So the driverless car is really stupid. <laughs> so, uh, no, I'm kidding. But uh, the driverless car is uh, more safe oh, because really? there's no uh, driver in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, we need to make uh, crashes to zero, yeah. <laughs> so are you submitting it into our com- international competitions? Yeah, so our competitions in Europe. Okay. And this year we're flying to Germany and uh, so in Croatia. Okay. And we're competing there and only with the electrical team. Okay. And the uh, next year is about to be electrical and autonomous. So. Fantastic. Awesome. And um, you, would you consider racing in New Zealand? Yeah, sure. Because you know New Zealanders and Australians are like crazy rev heads. They're all into like racing. You know, that's like their national hobby, right? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. So we are down to collaborations and uh, also seeing the car compete in New Zealand. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Are you one of the drivers or are you just like managing the whole project? Yeah, so I'm not one of the drivers. Uh, you're not um, that, that stupid. I can no, see. no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm in the autonomous uh, part. So we are 30 students from different uh, degrees who work on the autonomous part of the car. Yeah. Fantastic. And uh, look, this is a really cool uh, initiative by the Israeli Smart Transportation Research Center. I heard a little bit before about it, but just briefly explain what this research center is all about. Yeah, so the research industry uh, is about uh, connection between the industry and the research uh-huh. from universities. Okay. So people who go to universities are participating in different projects like this one, and then they go out to the industry and use the knowledge in different fields. Yeah. Fantastic. Good stuff. Well, look, um, last question. How have you placed in the last couple of competitions? Yeah, so uh, because we are a, a new team in the electrical team, uh-huh. so we tried to do our best yeah. and we got to 11th place That's in the right. Italian team. Yeah. But we can uh, could, be proud of ourselves because other teams are really strong and have good sponsors. Yeah. And we use what we got and yeah. we get uh, good results. I mean, you got GM as your sponsor, so yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. you'll get there. Yeah, well sure. done. Thanks very much for talking Thanks. to me, Gil. And that's a wrap for the Lands of Milk and Honey podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to me interview exhibitors at the Ecomotion Smart Mobility Conference in Tel Aviv. If you have, please share this episode on your social media feeds. And if you're interested to hear more about aspects of the Israeli tech ecosystem, please remember to subscribe. Join me for the next episode where I'll be interviewing two very special entrepreneurs in skincare using AI to develop a truly bespoke product. If you have any suggestions for the Land of Milk and Honey podcast or queries related to the New Zealand Israel Innovation Hub, please feel welcome to reach out via the contact details on the website www.nz iih.co.nz. Well, that's it for this week, folks. See you next time.